speaks to the gospel according to the good doctor, Luke. We are in chapter 8, 40 to 48. It'll be up on the screen as well. 8, 40 to 48. It, it's a longer passage with two miracles, but we needed to break it up, so you'll see why in a moment. You'll see how we did it. Oh, one final point. I just want to say thank you to, to all of you who um, were praying for Kim. Everything worked out well for the surgery on Friday. And just thank you. You have just showered us with prayers and, and encouragement and, and lifting us up. And so thank you for that. She's, she's doing great. And um, in spite of my care, she's doing great in the hands of the Almighty. And uh, just thank you, all of you, for your love, your overwhelming love and support for for me and, and for Kim. So thank you for that. This is a longer passage. We're breaking up into half, and, and you'll see there's two miracles here that we'll have to deal with, but you'll, you'll see why we have to break it up today. We're going to confine our focus to the divine daughter, 840 to 48, and then we'll get back to Jairus next week So and his daughter. So let's take a look. Hear now the word of God. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a ruler of the synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house, because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go. In peace, and may God add his rich blessing to us, inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident that we're here this morning, everyone by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel and speak only your word from this pulpit. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved, a word of comfort for those in storm winds, and a word of rest for the tired and weary and heavy laden. Lord, please give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. We are here this day because you have drawn us to yourself to put away all worldly cares and to fix our hearts on home. So come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus and him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Divine daughter, three headings, very simply, three headings. Number one, her disease. Number two, her desperation. And finally, number three, her deliverance. Before we launch out, though, into deep water, let me just make a brief comment here. The first miracle, Jairus comes to Jesus, but this first miracle is interrupted. The first miracle is interrupted by the second miracle. And then we get back to the first. And there's a powerful point here for every one of us. We're all in full-time ministry, regardless of the positions that we hold. But you're in full-time ministry as a father and a mother and a brother and a sister and a student. We're all in it. And I remember early on in ministry how it was difficult for me to deal with interruptions. 
And I was sitting one day with a dear friend, Rob West, and we were talking about it. He was asking how things were going in ministry. And I said, you know, I could get a whole lot more done for the Lord Jesus if I didn't have all these interruptions. You know, just one interruption after another. And you know what he said to me? My brother, interruptions are your ministry. I had no idea what that meant back then. I know now. I know exactly what it means. And here's the picture of interruptions. He was constantly interrupted. Here he's on the way to the first miracle, to Jairus' house, and he's interrupted here by this woman. Jairus' daughter's dying. He's teaching in a house, and they crack open the roof, and they lower somebody to him. He's out in a solitary place praying, and the disciples come after him and say, Master, everyone's looking for you. He's teaching in the synagogue, and somebody gets up and says, Master, tell my brother to share my inheritance. One interruption after another, after another, after another, and they're all what? Divine appointments. This didn't catch Jesus by surprise. The woman's got a divine appointment with him on the way to Jairus' house. So every interruption is a divine appointment. God has ordained it all and has put it into your schedule to receive by grace through faith and to respond appropriately to it. I had a very difficult time early on. I'm a whole lot older and a little bit wiser. And now the interruptions really are the ministry that God has called me to. So keep that in mind as we walk through the passage, okay? Her disease, very simple on the disease. There's not much to it here, but we need to understand what's happened to the woman. It's a different cultural context today than it was back then. Remember the honor-shame society? Honor-shame is a big deal. So let's take a look at her disease, 843. A woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Can you imagine that? 12 years she's been hemorrhaging and she can't get it stopped. Now in the ancient world, they had some some beliefs and some thoughts that um, often were not true and accurate, but one of the beliefs was for a woman in this condition, there had to be some kind of personal immorality. Remember Job's friends? Clearly Job was responsible for what had happened. So this woman's responsible for this condition at some level, whatever the reason is, she's responsible for this bleeding for 12 years. A dozen years this woman has been bleeding. So this is an amazing picture. But now let's go to the scripture and get a real clear understanding of, of, of her, her life. How has this woman been living? When a woman, Leviticus 15, when a woman has her regular blood flow, the impurity of her monthly period will last seven days and anyone who touches her will be unclean till evening. What, what's the message there? That was God's way of showing us what? Sin. That was the point of that. Pointing us to what? the condition that we are all sinful and unclean. That wasn't necessarily that that made her unclean. It was the picture that it pointed to. It's, it's, it's symbolic of our condition. So then it goes on. When a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time other than the period or the discharge continuing beyond, which is where this woman was, she'll be unclean for as long as she has it. So here's a woman for 12 years. 12 years. So... What is her condition that she's actually living in beyond the, 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 the medical condition? Take a look. For a dozen years, she was unwelcomed. She was unwanted and she was undesirable. We don't know her. We don't know if she had a family. If she had a family, she surely would have been loved by her family, but she couldn't be touched by him. She sat on a chair. They couldn't sit on the chair. They would be defiled. She laid in a bed. They couldn't lay in the bed. She touched a pot or a pan. They couldn't touch it. They had to be separated from the woman. She was ostracized by society. She was orphaned from the synagogue. 
she couldn't go and worship. Ceremonially unclean for 12 years. That's the disease. And that leads us immediately into her desperation. Watch this. This is amazing. Luke 8, 42 to 43. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. Now pause. Lots of times in Scripture we're, we're called to look at the contrast. Where did Jesus just come from? Remember the area of the Gerasenes? What was their wish for Jesus? Go away. Now he goes across the lake, and what happens? Please come. See the contrast? What does the gospel do? The gospel attracts and the gospel repels. Got it? It's a picture of the gospel. All the people in the garrisons, pigs jump over, go into the water, and they drown. What, are the, what do they say? Go, leave us. They were in the presence of the Almighty. Please go. And what does Jesus do? He goes. And he never goes back. He left a witness, but he never went back. He comes to this place. They can't wait for him. Thousands of people are waiting. Please come. There's the contrast. There's the gospel. Okay? Moving on. <clears throat> and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Here's the key line. But no one could heal her. I'm going to show you another gospel account in just a moment. But take a look. Three things. There's a crushing crowd. There's thousands of people. We don't know how many. Thousands. You ever been to a big event? Right? You're in a big event. You're in a throng of people. You're trying to get to the person who is... is the attention get how do you get there it's impossible people everywhere she's got to figure out she's got something in her she wants to get to him how is she going to get to him it's a crushing crowd and she's not supposed to touch anyone she's certainly not supposed to touch him but she's got something to not she's ceremonially unclean this perpetually pictures us all this is the picture of all of us what has sin done it's made us perpetually unclean until Jesus shows up until we're cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. And then finally what? It's an incurable disease. No one could heal her. Now I want to show you a contrast. And I want to show you how much comfort this should bring to you when you fully grasp what's happening in the two gospel accounts. Who is Luke? Say doctor. Doctor. Say doctor. All right. He's right. I'm going to show you why that is significant. I want to show you Mark's account. Luke says she couldn't be cured. That's all he says. Notice what Mark says. Mark 5, 26. She suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. Why, why doesn't Luke write that? That's a pretty significant caustic comment from Mark. Why doesn't Luke write like that? He's a doctor. So he's not going to condemn his own profession. He just says she couldn't be healed. Why should that comfort you? These are real people who wrote out of their own personal experiences under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. They weren't automatrons. So Luke says, these doctors, they took all of her money and still couldn't make her well. Luke, the doctor, just says she couldn't be healed. It was incurable, pointing more to the Lord, needing his help. Just a powerful point <coughs> for us to see the truths of Scripture, and that should strengthen your understanding of how it was put together. Back to the passage, 844. Now, here's the key. You're going to understand now what she had in her mind. She came up behind him and touched the edge of her cloak. We have to ask the question, why? Was it superstition? What was going on? We go to Matthew 9, 21. Take a look at this. She said to herself, if I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Why does she say that? 
Is this just some superstitious thing? If I touch his cloak, I'm going to get well? Remember in Matthew 14, all that touched his cloak were healed. Well, you got to get a little better understanding of the ancient Near East. We've got to go back and get an understanding and what, what, did, what did garments mean and what, what, what were they symbolic of? The edge of the cloak for the Jew was really his identification. Remember Ruth and Boaz and Ruth is there. And Ruth, what does she say to Boaz? Put the edge of your cloak over me. She wants to identify with Boaz now as, as his, his wife. This is symbolic. This is powerful symbolism, but it gets even deeper than that. So could there be a level of superstition? Sure. You remember the iconoclastic controversy where they thought there was power in all sorts of things, right? A, a splinter from a staff or a fabric from, from a saint or a, a, a chalice or a, or, or a plate or something. No, 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 no. I have a dear friend, Ike, preacher Ike, who preached this message, and we used to talk about it often. There's bread in the thread. So she reached for the thread, and she got the bread of life. We need to be careful. There's, there's, there's really no bread in the thread. It's not the thread. It's the one who's wearing the thread. The healing is in the Lord Jesus Christ. We want to be careful, no superstition. So let, but that's a great title, right? Bread and the thread. I love that. I love Ike. I love that word. But let's go deeper now, okay? We've got to go deeper. Let's take a look at this. Numbers 15, 37 to 39. This is important. Got to get a whole picture here. The Lord said, we're back in the Old Testament, covenant promises. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say, in the generations to come, make tassels. Uh-oh. On the corners of your garments with a blue cord on each tassel to look at. Now these tassels are there for you to look at and you will remember all the commands of the Lord that you may obey them and not prostitute yourselves by chasing after the lusts of your own heart and eyes. Now what did the Pharisees do with these tassels? They prostituted themselves and they chased after the lusts of their hearts and their own eyes. Jesus says it in Matthew 23, 5. Take a look. They make the tassels on their garments long. So they make them longer. What were the tassels designed to do? So you have your garment, you have your four corners, you put your tassels on. The tassels were a covenant promise from God because you're his covenant people to remember the promises God made to you. That's what they were there for. You ever heard, if you're old enough, way, 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 way back in the day, the practice of tying a string around your finger to remember something? Right? They, 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 I'd tie a string and I'd, a couple hours later, what's that on there for? Who did that to me? I wouldn't even remember who put it on. Anyway, they say the string tying goes back to this. Okay, the tassels. Why? To remember. The tassels, God says, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember my promises. I want you to remember whose you are. But it's deeper. Don't miss this. This, this. I didn't put this one up for you, but i got to show you. Malachi 4.2. In Malachi 4.2, the same word for wings, the same word for wings is also for corners. Under his wings, we will find what? Healing. That same word for wings is used for corners of the robe. So we find healing under the wings, under the robe of what? The Messiah. The promised one who would come and cover us with what? Ultimately, his robes of righteousness. That's the promise that's been given. So I don't think there's superstition here. 
I think she understands the Old Testament. I think she knows that the wings of the Messiah have come to cover her. And she reaches to touch in faith and instantly she's healed. This is a powerful, powerful message. So we see her disease and we see her desperation. Twelve years cannot be healed. She's utterly broke. It's utterly hopeless. There's no human cure. And she somehow gets through the crowd and comes up behind him and touches his cloak, the edge of the garment, the tassel. But she touches it with the finger of faith. There are hundreds who are touching him and bumping against him, but none like this, the finger of faith. That's the key in understanding how we are to reach out for Jesus. And finally, the deliverance. This is beautiful. Watch this. Her deliverance. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd is pressing against you. Okay, it seems like a strange question, right, for the God-man. But you remember back in the garden? Adam and Eve sin. God says, Adam, Adam, where are you? Did God lose Adam? No, Adam was lost. God is calling Adam back into understanding whose he is. So what is Jesus doing? He's not asking for information. The God portion of the God-man knows everything exhaustively. So why would he ask? And of course, Peter does what? He always brings it to the earthly and the temporal. He can't even begin to think spiritually. Master, there's people all over you who've been touching you. No, no, I'm talking about a different kind of touch. Somebody touched me with the finger of faith. Why? Did Jesus ask who touched me so he could know? No. He asked so everybody else would know. Oh, don't miss this. This is the message. The condition of this woman, she had been ostracized. She had no contact with anyone. You think for a second he's going to let this woman be healed and that faith stay concealed? Absolutely. Why? He's going to restore her right in front of everyone. In that instant, he's going to restore her. Watch this. 846. This is important for all of our spiritualists in the world today. And many even in the church. Listen. Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Let me make something perfectly clear. People talk about this impersonal force that's out there that we can all connect to. And someday if we all connect to it and vibrate at the right speed, we can all become part of the all. Um, can, can we just dismantle the impersonal force that's out there? And can we dismantle it right here? Who could say that? Only God. You can't say that. Power went out for me. He knew that someone, he ordained that someone had touched him. Someone touched me, and I sent power out from me into this woman. There's no impersonal force. That's the Lord God omnipotent. Omnipotent sending his power into this woman. 
So the next time you're thinking about what you need from the Almighty, make no mistake, he is ministering to you personally. There's no impersonal force out there that you're trying to tap into. That passage makes it clear. Now, we go further. Luke 8, 47. Here's the key. He will not allow her concealed faith to stay concealed. It must be revealed. He has to reveal her faith. He's going to bring her to a level of witness. And he's going to restore her. The woman seeing. What was the woman's goal? How do we know she didn't want to be seen? The woman seeing she could not go unnoticed. She didn't want to be noticed. This is, a, this is an honor-shame society. How shameful for a woman to be bleeding for 12 years. And for most people to believe it's because of personal immorality. Something that she did. She brought this condition on herself. She doesn't want anyone to know. But now Jesus calls her out. Why? To embarrass her and to shame her? No. To bring her in. To restore her. So she falls at his, fell at his feet trembling. There's worship. There's worship. In the presence of everyone, now in the presence of everyone, she told why she touched him. And how she had been instantly healed. Jesus also gets her to tell of the healing. How would you know if you were healed after 12 years of this? So he brings her out of darkness and into his marvelous three things. Check this out. Her worship led to witness. Shouldn't worship always lead to witness? How did last week's sermon end? The maniac who became the missionary, remember? Right? The demonic who became the disciple. He said, Lord, let me go with you. What does Jesus say? No, no, no. First of all, I'm not coming back to these people. But I'm going to leave a witness. But what did he say to him? Go and tell them what the Lord has done for what did this woman just do? She told everybody what the Lord had done for. When was the last time you told somebody what the Lord has done for you? Don't answer it out loud. You're on the screen. You're being live streamed. Unless you have a good answer. What are we supposed to be doing? We're supposed to be going and telling what the Lord has done. What has the Lord done for you? Sometimes we have a tendency to think, and, and there is an aspect of salvation when you're an adult and you're saved. There's a real difference between B.C. and, 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 and A.D., but, but that's okay. But what about Christian children who grow up in a Christian home? They have the great gift and blessing to be in a Christian environment. Their whole life, they knew nothing other than Jesus. You still go, and you tell them what the Lord has done for you. All that God is doing in your life and in your heart. That's the test. You don't need a degree. You don't need to be in seminary for that. You just go, and so the woman does it. She falls in worship, and worship leads to witness. Now, notice what... What happens with the witness? Don't miss this. The witness now led to the welcome back. What was the welcome back? Into her family, with her friends, and into her faith. What a beautiful picture of restoration. Here's the gospel for each and every one of us. Regardless of what condition we have, we all have some kind of condition that we're dealing with. And Jesus shows up and restores us from the inside out. We're close. Luke 8, 48. Here it is. Ready? Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in. Two things here we need to point out. Just two. What does it mean to be healed? Take a look at the Greek word. We bring it up for your attention because it's a real powerful word. This isn't just, listen. Peter says, Lord, everybody's touching you. Ah, no, no, no. Somebody touched me with faith and I sent power out and I healed her. What kind of heal? 
This is a common New Testament word for salvation, sozo. You've been saved. This isn't just a physical healing. Her soul has been healed. The healing balm of Gilead has been spread all over this woman. She has been healed from the ends. How do we know she's been healed? What's the final phrase? Go in peace. How could he possibly say that? Because she now has been restored in a relationship with God. What's the first fruit of your justification? I've said this over and over again. We always talk about the fruit of the Spirit, right? We all know that. Love, joy, peace, patience. Okay. What's fruit of justification? What's the first one? Peace. Peace with God. Reconciliation. You have been brought back into relationship with God. That's the key in understanding what we've been given by the gospel. The very first fruit. So he says it. Your faith has healed you. Not just physically. But your physical healing now is pointing to you the spiritual reality. Right? Baptism. We baptize our babies. We baptize adults who, who come to faith. We baptize. It's a physical, symbolic picture of what we hope to be an inward reality. He's now saying this physical picture of healing that I just did is a picture of your soul that has been fully healed and restored. Now go in peace. Divine imperative Go in peace means to continually go in peace. Your peace will, will never depart from you. Take a look at the peace word. Look at Irene in the Greek. To join together that which has been separated. There's the key in understanding peace. We are all separated from God living east of Eden. We are brought back in by, by a relationship with Jesus. When he spreads his garment over us. The edge of his cloak he spreads over us. And we are clothed in the robes of righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Having been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb. That's the gospel. That's what's happening here. And Romans 5.1, you all know this one. Yes, you do. I see many of you nod. Therefore, since we have been justified, there's the instrumental cause of our salvation. Through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There it is. That's why he says go in peace. She has this peace now with God. Through whom? We have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. How do we close? Don't miss this. Then he said to her. Remember, remember the condition. Nobody. Nobody to touch and to hold. And nobody. Nobody. Twelve years. What does he say to her? Daughter. What a message on Father's Day. God's providence bringing us to this passage, the divine daughter. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. You've heard of the daughters of, of Israel, the daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You've never heard anyone in all of Scripture called by Jesus, daughter. This is the only one. The only woman in Scripture identified by Jesus, his daughter. Your faith, not the touching of the robe. Let me clear things up. Let me be clear. Not the touching and not the robe. Your faith, the finger of faith that you had has healed you. And that's the instrumental cause. I have given you that faith and power has gone out. Go in peace. Watch this. She now is the adopted 
apple of the Almighty's eye. Ostracized by society, orphaned by her synagogue, she's now the adopted apple of the Almighty's eye. And now that brings her into these three points. She's back into relationship with God. But now she's also back into relationship with everyone else. So it's vertical and it's horizontal. She's now back into a deeper level of relationship. It's intimacy. It's an intimate, personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's one more piece that's far more important. And we'll hit this at the very end. It's eternal security. 2 Corinthians 6.18 I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. That's what he's saying to you today. All those who are by grace through faith in Christ, I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters. And is that your truth? We'll touch back on it at the very end of the close. If that's not, it should be today. You've heard the gospel. The gospel attracts and the gospel repels. Perhaps God right now is drawing you by the power of the Holy Spirit. By way of the internet, you've heard the truths of the gospel and you feel God drawing you to himself. It's not a man-centered work. It's the Holy Spirit that is, that is inside of you right now that's drawing you to him. Come. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Jesus says, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come, just as you are. Come to Christ today. Confess and believe, and the gospel truth is yours. And then here's the key to remember that once you're in Christ, nothing will ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You are invited to that this day. Make this a day of salvation if it's never been before. Perhaps tomorrow it will be too late. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the truths of the gospel. If there's anyone who has never surrendered control to Jesus, may they pray these words this day. Father, I have heard the truth, and I know that I cannot heal myself. Like the woman with the perpetual hemorrhage, I need you. I need you to save me. I need you to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I have tried everything, and nothing has worked. So I reach out by faith and ask that you bring me to yourself. And know this, beloved, he who began this good work in this very moment has promised to complete it. And to all of you brothers and sisters who've walked many for decades, keep on walking. Walk by faith and not by sight. Give him all the praise and the glory and look only to him, the author and perfecter of your faith. And may we all do this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.